You're listening to the PowerPlace Audio Podcast. For more resources or to watch a service online, visit us at www.thepowerplace.org. Good morning, PowerPlace. How are we doing this morning? Man, I don't know if you, 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 you can't deny the presence of God in this place uh, this morning from, from just the start, from welcoming his presence in this place. He's, he's here, and uh, there's no, no other place I'd rather be than right here in the midst of his presence. Amen? Amen. Well, I'm Landon Verkirk. I'm the worship pastor here at the Power Place, and um, if you're new here, um, the Power Place exists to help people encounter the power and presence of God, which you just experienced this morning in worship, um, to empower them through his spirit, uh, which we're going to be empowered today through his word, and when we leave here to engage our community so that they can come and experience the same thing of who God is. Amen? That's why the Power Place exists. That's why we're here, and I love what God's doing in this place. And uh, real quick, I just felt uh, impressed to kind of give some direction uh, of what's happening with uh, the Ukraine and Russia. Just two quick things that, that, that I felt like the Holy Spirit wants to uh, encourage us in. Uh, number one, it's real simple. Just be aware. Be informed of what's going on. Um, it's very easy to get misinformation today. It's very easy to hear from one news station uh, blaming a, a certain administration and then another news station blaming the other administration. It's very confusing, uh, but that's not what we're called to do as Christians, as the body of Christ. We're not called to take part of the blame game. That's not why we're here. We're called to encourage and give hope because that's who Christ is. He's a beacon of hope. Uh, so be aware of the blame game and don't take part in the blame game. Uh, be aware of those who um, decide in moments like these to try and capitalize on uh, being prophetic because uh, they'll step up and they'll try and claim, hey, I'm going to explain to you why these events are happening. Uh, let me just clarify. A prophet is not to explain the times that we're in, but to foretell of something to come that hasn't come yet. That's what a prophet does. So be aware um, just because they're going to happen. You're going to see them all over social media popping up saying, hey, this is why this is happening. Uh, let me just encourage you, filter everything you hear through the word of God, because that's where the truth is. Uh, so if you hear something that doesn't quite line up and it's not in the word of God, it's not true. Uh, and then beware of uh, fear mongers. They're going to try and make you afraid and fearful, uh, but we're not a people who are fearful. Uh, God is not a God of fear. Yes, we fear God. We fear the goodness of God. We fear being away from God, but we don't fear what the world fears. Uh, that's not who we are. So be aware of fear mongers. Don't be afraid. Uh, and, and, and know that our weapons are not carnal. They're not of this earth. Our weapons are praise and prayer. So be bold. Be bold. That's the second one. Be bold. Don't be afraid. Be bold as lions, the word of God says. And uh, we have to be bold in our prayers because that's our weapon. So it's time as the church, as the body of Christ across the world to get on our knees before him and pray for wisdom for our world leaders. Uh, pray, pray for protection for, for those both in the Ukraine and Russia who uh, maybe they don't want to be a part of what's happening. Let's pray that God protects them. And uh, the Christians who are standing up there, I've seen some videos of uh, Ukrainians singing uh, praise to God. And that's where it is right there. That's, there's the power 
when we praise, when we worship him, that's where the power of God can come in. And uh, we allow him to do that, amen? Uh, And then lastly, pray that the Lord would anoint us to minister to the people around us. That we would be used to bring peace and wisdom and boldness through prayer, amen? So those two quick things I just wanted to share with you. Uh, in light of what's happening right now, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to use his church. And those are some, some key points that he can use us in. Amen? Uh, and then uh, Pastor Billy just told us about Pastor Greg and Christy and Pastor Isaiah and Brittany. They're down in Texas right now uh, at a conference. And not only that, but uh, some very exciting times for us. They were able to meet with the head of school there that the church runs. And we're able to glean some wisdom from that. We're able to, uh, they're, they're giving certain curriculum away. They're sharing knowledge. They're, they're sharing advice of how to start this school and to start it well. Um, and we've been talking about this for several weeks. God dropped it in our spirit and we just said, okay. <laughs> we don't know what in the world we're doing, but we just said, God, we're gonna be obedient. If you ask us to do it, we're gonna do it. So uh, we're doing our due diligence and learning uh, uh, what that looks like and, and how to best step into the calling that God has for us as a church, amen? So let's continue to pray for them that they would glean wisdom and come filled up and overflowing to share with us what God did in them, amen? Well, we are in the last week of What's the Love Got to Do With It, the series. I don't know about you, but I've thoroughly enjoyed uh, every week that we've had um, about relationships, and I, I believe this is uh, today is a is a great close to sum up about love, and especially the love of God. Um, and today, I want to share with you about if you're taking notes, the prophet and the prostitute. And if I didn't have your attention before, I probably do now. The prophet and the prostitute, uh, and the prophet we're talking about is in the book of Hosea. Hosea is a minor prophet in the Bible. And when it says minor prophet, it doesn't mean he's of less importance in the Bible. It just means that it's, it's referring to the length of the book of the Bible. So he's a minor prophet. It's a shorter book. It's, it's uh, mostly summed up of his poetry. It's very poetic. It's a beautiful uh, chapter. If you haven't read that, there's 14 chapters. It's very doable. I did it in one just one day, so um, very easy to do. I love the story of Hosea and Gomer. And uh, Hosea, he was a stand-up, he was a stand-up guy from what we can see about him. He was uh, a prophet, obviously, and uh, would go around preaching and telling what, whatever God would share with him. He would share of what was to come. And so he was a good guy, good guy Hosea, And over the years, Israel, this is where he was a prophet to in Israel. Over the years, Israel had forgotten what God did for them in bringing the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, crossing the Red Sea on dry ground and leading them into the promised land. Over years, somehow, I don't know how you can forget that, first of all. If if a, if a sea splits in front of you and you walk across on dry ground, I would not soon forget that. Uh, but somehow the Israelites forgot that uh, over the years, and they began to worship other gods and idols. And so God gave Hosea an assignment and said, I want to use you to draw these people back to me, to help them remember what I did for them. 
And so that's what this story is. God assigned Hosea a task to turn Israel's heart back to him. And when you look at the minor prophets in the Bible, Hosea's assignment seems a little less desirable than most of the other minor prophets. You have Isaiah, who got to see the throne room of God. I mean, how incredible is that? Ezekiel got to see dry bones literally come to life. Like, literally a heap of dry bones where ligaments and muscles and tendons and skin and organs all came together and came to live again. That was Ezekiel's assignment. Daniel could interpret dreams. I got some dreams I wish Daniel could interpret for me. Anybody just have weird dreams? Man. Jonah saw thousands give their lives to God. I mean, he was swallowed by a whale, but still, in the grand scheme of things. Zechariah saw visions of a flying scroll, olive trees, and women with wings. And Hosea got to marry a prostitute. I think there's, there's quite a difference in Hosea's story. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Hosea 1. I'm going to read two verses real quick. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, go and marry a prostitute so that some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. This will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. Now, in reading this, I don't know about you, but I had pause to think, I'm pretty sure I'd be asking some questions before I just went and did the thing that God just asked me to do. Pretty sure I'd be like, well, number one, God, is this you? <laughs> are, you know, are you telling me this? Did I just eat something bad? And I'm dealing with that right now. Or how in the world is this going to help turn an entire nation back to you by me marrying a prostitute? That would be a big question for me. Or uh, a big question like, are you sure? And another big question like, are you really sure? <laughs> and maybe lastly, are you really, really sure you want me to do this? Because from what we can see, Hosea had been saving himself for marriage, I mean, we don't get a whole lot of backstory, but I can just imagine an upstanding man of God. I can understand that he would be saving himself for marriage, meaning I, I'm not gonna go and sleep around with a whole bunch of people because I know what my calling is that God has on my life. I know the worth that God has placed on me and I'm gonna save myself for marriage. What many of the young people today need to learn how to practice, which is not the cool thing to do, but in God's eyes, it's one of the most important things because marriage is a beautiful thing and sex is something that God created, which is a beautiful thing that was meant for the marriage bed. So I can imagine that he had been saving himself and he's questioning, God, are you sure this is what you want me to do? Based on this action of literally God saying, I want you to do this, there being no question and then Jose saying, okay, I'll go and marry. You have to just draw the conclusion that Hosea must have seen the faithfulness of God up to this point for him to just say, okay, God, I trust you enough to say, if you're asking me to do something, I've seen your faithfulness before 
and I know what your plans are. They're, they're, they're bigger than mine. They're, your, your thoughts are higher than mine. But because I've seen your faithfulness, I'm going to say okay. We have to understand that Hosea had seen the faithfulness of God for him to respond in the way that he did. To say, okay, I'll get married to the prostitute. And they end up getting married. They have three kids. And if you don't know this already, names are extremely significant in the Bible. They had three kids. The first one was Jezreel, which means judgment. The second name was Lo Ruhamah, which means not loved. And then lastly, Lo Ami, which means not my people. Those are some rough names, man. I, <laughs> I remember growing up, like, not wanting to be named Landon just because, you know, as a kid, I think you, everybody has that. Like, I wish my name was whatever. And mine, for some reason, was Michael. Michael, it's like a super, con- I mean, it's a great name. Mike Devano is probably one of my favorite people in the world. So props to Mike. <laughs> um, but not loved, not my people. My God, what are you doing? And the, the, the crazy part about this is God was using these names symbolically to show what he was going to do. It was telling of what he was going to do in the future. And it's an interesting story because Hosea's name means salvation. So we get this, this picture that's painted for us of Hosea who's going to offer salvation to a woman who should have received judgment, who doesn't know what it's like to be loved, and who certainly doesn't know what it's like to be one of God's children. She hasn't experienced it yet. And so Hosea is going with his name meaning salvation, God sending him and saying, this is the picture that I'm painting for you for what I'm going to do for Israel. And, and when it talks about Israel, it's not just Israel alone. Israel's referring to his people. You and I are Israel. We're God's people. And he's coming after us. And we begin to see how God intends this to unfold. If you're taking notes this morning, number one, this is extremely, extremely basic, extremely simple, but so full of God's truth. Number one, God's love is real. His love is real. It's not, tra- it, it's not uh, something that he has to fake to make. It's not something that he just pretends he's going to do. It's not something he says and doesn't follow through. When God do- says something, he does it. He's a faithful God. He's fully transparent. And, and, and when we see this story, it's not just a story about obedience and submission, which is, which is also important in and of itself. It's beyond that. Because uh, it's a story about real, true love. And we're, we see that because later on in chapter 3, we're going to read that in just a minute. But in chapter 3, it reveals and confirms Hosea's love for Gomer. He wasn't just obedient and submissive to God. He loved Gomer. And just like he loved Gomer, God loved us in John three sixteen. We We all know this. If you've been in church any amount of time for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life for God. So loved, it doesn't say for God was just submissive or obedient in doing this. He loved you and I enough to send his son 
to be sacrificed so that we could have eternity with him. In Romans 5, 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. That's the amazing part. That's the miraculous part. While we were still sinners. That, that means that we didn't have to be cleaned up and put together and have our act together to, for God to say, okay, I love you now. Because if that was the case, that would be a prerequisite uh, based on earning his love. That's not the God that we serve. Based on performance, he's not a performance-based God to where we have to achieve some things before he decides to love us. It was while we were still sinners. In Joel 2.32, it says, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Revelation 22.17, come, let only those who have cleaned themselves up drink freely from the water of life. Absolutely not. Come, let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely of the water of life. There is no prerequisite. Anyone, come and taste how good God is. Come and drink of his living water. We see the story of the woman that Jesus meets at the well in John 4, and Jesus addressed the fact of her sin, but offered her the salvation that she needed right then and there. It wasn't before she changed, or it wasn't after she changed her life. He offered the salvation first, and then she decided to go back and tell everyone about it. Because how could this man, who wasn't even who I was, who my people were, how could he offer me this without loving me first? He loved us enough first to say, I'm going to show you the love. I'm going to demonstrate it. And then you can go and get your life together because I'm going to be with you every step of the way. And then again, uh, with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery in John 8, Jesus knelt down with her in the dirt, told her accusers, he who is without sin cast the first stone. And then he said, go and sin no more. It was when the demonstration, after the demonstration of love was offered, then he said, go and sin no more. The sin was never excused or ignored, but it was through the love of Jesus that it was forgiven. See, he's not afraid to get down in the mess with you. He's not afraid to get down in the dirt with you. In the junk of your life, that's where God steps in when we said, I've had enough. I can't do it anymore on my own. I can't take another step. I can't go on another day until you come and meet me here. And when we open up our hearts to him, when we receive everything that he has for us, that's when our life begins to change, when he offers the love to us. But it's us. We have to make the first step to say, God, I open up my heart. I don't have to change a thing before you come and demonstrate your love to me, I'm just willing to receive your love. His love is real. Number two, God's love is redemptive. Hosea 3, we, we just talked about this. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. There it is right there. It's revealing and confirming that Hosea loved his wife from the beginning. Go and love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another lover, 
This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. Can you imagine the heart-wrenching process that Hosea is faced with when God says, you've got to go back into the streets that, that people say not to go in. You've got to go back and find your wife and love her again. Can you imagine just that thought process of my, my wife left me. She, she went away from the covenant of marriage and decided to sell her body off again, become a prostitute, go back to her old ways. And I can imagine Hosea walking through those streets. I can imagine the people muttering, saying, what's, what's Hosea doing here, man of God? And these streets, they don't visit these streets, do they? I'll tell you, they should. That's what our God did. He left the comfort of his throne in heaven to come down in the dirt with you and I in the most humble form as a baby to offer salvation. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And then Hosea, he's walking through these streets and, and I'm sure he hears the muttering of voices and then he sees, begins to see a crowd of people sees women up on these auction blocks, completely naked, probably chained, because at this point they're being owned by someone else. And he probably looks up there and he sees his wife, Gomer. I can imagine him going to the, the, the men who are auctioning them off saying, this is my, my wife, I, can, I, can I take her back? And the man's saying, no man, if you want her, you're gonna have to pay the price. But Hosea is saying, but, but this is my, this is my, how, how much? How much does she cost? Hosea 3, 2, so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. This is a woman who was already his, a woman who they, they came into a covenant agreement together. They said their vows, I will, I do forever. And she chooses to leave him. She chooses to leave the covenant of marriage. And he still says, I don't care. I'm going to come back for you. I'll pay whatever I have to, to have back what I already owned to have back what was already mine. I'm gonna pay. It's the picture of the gospel here. God is Hosea and you and I are Gomer. Jesus was the spotless lamb who left the luxury of heaven to come to the dirty street of this world to love us. And Jesus paid the ultimate price through death on the cross to redeem us. It wasn't after we got ourselves put together. It wasn't after we decided to start serving in church. It wasn't after we decided to stop living in sin. God said, I paid the price for you. I love you enough. I'm going to come every time you leave. Every time you walk away, I'm going to come after you because I love you. I love you with a relentless love. I'm never going to give up. I'll never forsake you. I will never leave you. That's the God that we serve. 
Just like Hosea's pursuit of Gomer wasn't for a slave and master title. Hosea didn't buy her back so that she would become his slave. In fact, in the scripture, if you read it, it goes on to say, hey, you're not gonna, you're not gonna have sexual relations with me or any other man for several weeks, which also reflects what God was gonna do in Israel. But, but he's basically saying, listen, I'm just coming with salvation for you. I'm coming to save you from the life that I know you don't want to be a part of. I know that you don't want to do it, but, but because the culture and society has labeled you over and over, and this is all you've known all your life. This is where you think you need to go because this is who you think you are. Hosea says, no, you're my wife. He doesn't want a slave and master relationship. He wants a bride and bridegroom relationship, just like Jesus wants with you and I. We're not called to be his slave. He doesn't say, you're my slave. Now, I choose, I choose to be a slave for his kingdom. I choose to come into alignment with him, to, into submission with him. But that's not the view that God point, God, the viewpoint that God has for you and I. The viewpoint that he has is bride and bridegroom. The church is the bride. God is our bridegroom. And he's coming back for us one day. When the trumpet sounds and the clouds split open, it says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Mm. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. I can't wait for that day. But right now, while we live on earth, God says, I'll never stop pursuing you. I'll never stop loving you. I'll never stop seeing you for who I've created you to be. I love you with a relentless love. Number three, God's love is relentless. And I feel like I need this, this needs to be made clear today. God is not the one who chooses to leave the relationship in the first place. There's a broken mentality, mentality that the world has that, that God walked away from me or he turned his back on me or he walked out on me. Because I think many times maybe you, you grew up in a broken home and you, you see what your father or your mother did to you. They walked out on you. They left you. They turned their back on you. Whatever situation you might find yourself in. And so you get this mentality that God does the same thing. Let me tell you, God is not the one who walks out on the relationship. He's there with you every step of the way, whether you know it or not. In Isaiah 53, 6, it says, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. God hasn't left the path that he placed us on. He's right there every step of the way. We are the ones who've chosen to leave his path for us. In Matthew 18, it addresses those sheep that it just talked about in Isaiah. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that is lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that did wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. That means when you decide to, 
to step away from your relationship with God. If you decide to turn your back on him, guess what? He's coming to find you. He's coming after you. And listen, he's not, he's not a God that would force himself on you. It's your decision to make. He's just there ready and available. When you decide to say, God, I accept you. I, I, I'm coming back to you. I know you paid the price for me. God's just like, hey, I'm here. When you're ready, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never force myself on you. But it's your decision. He's coming after you. Just like Hosea went back and found Gomer and bought her, bra- bought her back. Jesus left heaven, came down to the dust of the earth to ultimately pay the price for you and me. To relentlessly pursue our hearts so that we could spend eternity with him. I wish I could say that my life has been perfect since I met Jesus. I wish I could stand here and say that every decision that I made was the best decision that I possibly could have made. But then I'd be standing up here a lie. I am Gomer. And you are too. And that we've failed him over and over and over and over. And every single time God says, I'm coming after you. I see you. I know where you are. And I'm right here waiting for you when you're ready to turn back. Every time we fail, he comes after us. Every time we fall, he's there to pick us up. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. You're mine and I'll let no one snatch you out of my hand. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm no prostitute. I get it. I do. I understand. I understand. I've, I've, I've changed my ways too. <laughs> but if we put your mess up on the screen behind me today, you'd have a person next to you being like, well, I never. I don't understand. I just can't believe it. I never knew that about them. But God says, neither did I. Because the last thing I have in my record is when they asked for forgiveness and repented and turned of their ways. And all I see is them running after me. Because we have a faithful God who pursues us relentlessly. Romans 3, 23 to 24, for all have sinned. God, I'm sorry. And fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. What a faithful God. So what does God's love look like? Well, I have a couple of scenarios and the word of God in my personal life to share with you. Just a couple. What does God's love look like? 
His love looks like Daniel being delivered from the mouths of the lions when he was thrown in the pit for praying to God. His love looks like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not being burned up when they were thrown into the fiery furnace because they wouldn't bow down to the golden idol. His love looks like the Israelites being delivered from slavery in Egypt and crossing the Red Sea on dry ground. His love looks like Joseph going from being thrown into a pit to becoming second in command over all of Egypt and saving people from starvation and death. His love looks like Jesus healing a paralyzed man and telling him to take up his mat and walk. It looks like healing a woman with the issue of blood. It looks like calming a storm and stilling the sea when the disciples were afraid in the boat. It looks like kneeling down with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and telling her accusers, he who is without sin cast the first stone. It looks like healing a man born of blindness, raising Lazarus from the dead, going to a hated tax collector's house to have dinner with him, washing his disciples' dirty feet, restoring a man's ear that was cut off from his own disciple, covering my wife and I with peace when we were blindsided with the news that our son had special needs. It looks like healing my sister-in-law of PCOS and not giving them one child, but three. It looks like bringing Jill Scannell back from what was essentially her deathbed and now healing her vision. It looks like bringing Luke Reynolds back from his deathbed. It looks like healing Chris Hess's hearing. It looks like healing my brother-in-law's food allergy. Gabe Rizzo's friend was healed while watching live stream. Healing Luke Standage's knee. Healing my niece's Crohn's disease. God supernaturally putting my son's internally rotated shoulder back into place. It looks like the Cavasini's baby being completely whole, even though the doctor said there was a chromosomal disorder. God providing supernaturally for the Power Place Athletic Center to happen and supernaturally providing for the school that he's called us to start. And he's continuing to make room for his kingdom to expand. Amen. So what does God's love look like? It looks like sending his only son to pay a price he did not owe so that we could have eternal life with him. That's the love of God. And I know that there's probably countless other stories that you could share. There was 27 right there. And there's more I could share. God's love is endless for you and I. And the miracles that we see over and over are a demonstration of his love for us. Ephesians 3, 18 to 19. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ. Though it is too great to understand fully, then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. We can't understand it. We can't contain his love. We'll never get it because his thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. And he's a good father. I think many times our, our unfaithfulness to him 
stems from not understanding or not seeing ourselves as Christ sees us. Because when you know someone, in fact, the Hebrew word for know is yada. And it's more than just an intellectual knowing. It's, it's more than just knowing about someone. It's knowing someone. It's a personal level of knowing. It's an intimate relationship of knowing someone. And, and if we knew God, if we had a, a, a full understanding of his love for us, if we had a relationship with him, then we would know how he sees us. We would know how he views us. I, I was watching this TV show the other night and it had this family who had a child with special needs and they had the behavioral therapist there. And this was all so real to me because we've had, you know, conversations and behavioral therapists and, uh, you know, uh, OTs and PTs and all, all the stuff that comes along with that. But this behavioral therapist started asking the question to the parents and said, if I could wave a magic wand and deal with one of the issues that you deal with, what would that be? And so they start discussing those different things. And uh, then the behavioral therapist asked the question, what about friends? Does he enjoy hanging out with his friends? And immediately the mom began welling up with tears and said, he doesn't have any friends. And I don't know if, if this is because, I don't know if I connected with it like this because I have a child with special needs and, and whatnot, but I'm sitting there, we're, Allie and I, we're just laying in bed watching this show and I, I start bawling and she looks over and she's like, why in the world are you crying? And for me, I... I asked that question. Now, you have to know my son, Anchor. He, is, he doesn't have a problem making friends. I'll just tell you that right now. The dude, is, he thinks everybody's his best friend. Um, he just went to a birthday party this past Saturday, and he just loves, he loves life. He's, he's got friends. But it made me think, what if my son couldn't make friends? What if he had an issue making friends? What would I do as his father to help people understand who Anchor is and why you want to be friends with him. And I said, I, I, I said to myself, I would, I would go to those people who were his peers, the students around him, and I would say, listen, if you just knew my son the way I know him, if you knew how loving he was, if you knew how fun he was, if you knew how he loved to dance and how he loves to sing even though he can't carry a tune in a bucket. If you could know my son the way I know him, I promise you would love him. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, that's how I feel about my children when they can't see themselves how I see them, how I created them to be. Because the world loves to label culture loves to label. Sometimes people love to label, but the only label that will ever stick is the label that was placed on you from birth. 
that God placed on you when he created you in your mother's womb, when he formed you together, before you were ever even a thought in someone's mind, he knew who you were because he loves you that much. And he loves you so much that he wants you to see who he created you to be. Not what the world has said you are. Not what culture has said you are. Not what your family or friends even have said you are. But who God views you as. Our heavenly father, the one who loves you so much that he gave his only son. John three seventeen. Forget God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. He didn't come to condemn. So the world loves to condemn and say, you're, I'm writing you off. I'm done with you. You've made one too many mistakes. You've burned one too many bridges. Right? But God says, I didn't come to condemn. I'm not here to point out what's happened in your past, I wanna deal with that, but I'm not here for that to be the first thing that we talk about. What I wanna tell you about is my love for you, how I gave my son's life for you. He loves you, he sees you, he knows you intimately. All you have to do is say yes to him. Let's pray this morning, God, we love you. We don't deserve the love that you've given us, but God, you give it so freely. Father, we thank you that your love is real. It's authentic, it's transparent. We thank you that your love is redemptive. God, that you came and you paid the price for us so that we could have eternal life with you. Oh, we thank you that your love is relentless. You'll never stop pursuing us. You'll never leave us. You'll never forsake us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves the way that you see us, the way that you created us to be. You are a good Father. And we trust you today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can we stand together this morning? Thanks for listening to the PowerPlace audio podcast. For more resources or to watch a service online, visit us at www.thepowerplace.org.